So I'm sitting here in my office at Remax Kelowna, and I'm chatting it up with Crispin Butterfield, and she works as an interior designer here in Kelowna. Uh, really, all across Canada she works, and we'll talk about that. Um, Crispin helped me design a beautiful office space in downtown Kelowna a couple of years ago, I think it was, uh, and I've seen her work firsthand, and I've seen some of her projects online, and she is super, super talented. And I think we've known each other for a couple of years, not that well. We've gone out for drinks a couple times, um, but I'm excited to get to know her better. So first of all, Crispin, uh, thank you for coming on the show today. I know you're an extremely busy person, and I really appreciate your time. So I want to give you a platform to tell us about your work and about your fascinating life. <laughs> so Crispin, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and how long you've been a designer. Hey, oh, thanks, Luke. Thanks for having me on. I think you're the first person that's ever said my life's fascinating, so thanks for that, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I, uh, where to start? Like, I, I, uh, I'm from, from, originally I'm from Ottawa. I was born in Ottawa. And our parents relocated to just outside of Winnipeg in a city called Brandon, Manitoba. Right. Yay, Prairie. Um, so I grew up there. And I, when I turned 18, I couldn't wait to get the hell out of there. Right. Um, I went to, I thought I was going to be a furniture designer. Or in sort of grade 12, that's sort of where my passion lied was sort of furniture design. Um, and it just so happened that the lady that lived across the street from us, uh, her son-in-law was the vice president of Palliser Furniture in Winnipeg. Unbeknownst to me, we were at a barbecue, and he was asking me what I wanted to do after graduation. I had no idea. Um, he said, well, why don't you come work for me in Winnipeg? I'm like, sure, whatever. Um, yeah, it turns out he's the vice president of Palliser Furniture. So I spent a whole year in the R&D department working on prototypes for mass production mm -hmm. with the team that just does from con con like conceptualization to manufacturing. Um, so we did all the frames and patterns and whatnot, and after a year... I realized, you know, in North America, that market's very tiny. You'd have to move to Europe to pursue right. that. And I just kind of, my interests were changing. And at that time, too, HGTV was becoming a big thing on TV. And I'm like, oh, what's this interior design thing? Um, I feel like I've always been, like, a total creative. I just didn't know how to, you know, right. where I wanted to put my energy into that. So um, I applied for design school two weeks late, past the deadline. I called and asked if they would still... Um, take an application, and they said, well, no, I mean, you can send it. We're not going to look at it. And I got accepted. <laughs> <laughs> Where was the school? Oh, I went to Mount Royal University in Calgary. That's where I went. It was a four-year uh, Bachelor of Interior Design program. Nice. So I think it was kind of fate. I was supposed to go to design school because I technically wasn't supposed to get in, but I got in. Um, so that was, for me, the start in, um, in my sort of design career was getting accepted past the deadline and um, going to school. Awesome. So what was school like? What's it, what you expected? Like, what do you do in design school? Is it like architectural stuff? Is it studying art? Like, what, what does it involve? Um, it's kind of all that and more. I think a lot of people assume if you go to design school, you are playing with carpet and paint samples all day long, and it's just fun and games. And I mean, there's a very small portion. We took, I think, one or two classes on you know, textiles and whatnot. The whole rest of this four-year program was construction, um, architectural drawing, um, history of interiors. Like, it's, it's such a, how do you describe it? It's so much. It's very overwhelming. Yeah. It was intense. We had one summer off, and then we were in school for the next three and a half years, basically, 
Um, and we would do two practicums. So it was full time. It was insane. I was ready. Like I remember saying to a friend in our last semester, you know, she looked over, we shared a drafting desk and she's like, are you okay? And I just kind of looked at her. I'm like, no, I kind of don't feel anything inside anymore. (laughs) It just sort of, it was so intense. I mean, they just packed so much into four years. Um, so yeah, I graduated, moved back to Manitoba to sort of just move all my stuff home and figure out where I wanted to go, what firm I wanted to go work in, in a big city, because that's in design school, that's the goal. It's never to leave school and open up your own company. You need to, historically, if you want to make it, you need to go to a design firm and pay your dues and work your way through as a junior and all the way up. And I just, in my guts and in my soul, I was like, I can't do that. That's not, mm-hmm. that's not in my blood to, um, to do that. So, yeah, I, uh, I moved everything home and needed a little break. It took a couple months. And then all of a sudden, work just started magically appearing wow. in small doses. Yeah. And this is Winnipeg. This is in Brandon. So oh, Brandon. Brandon's two hours west of Winnipeg, and it's the population is about 50,000 people. So when you look at that, you think, there's not going to be much there for me. You know, no one's going to get this design thing. But it was fantastic because there was only one other lady there that had her degree and was doing interior, like full-spectrum work. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, the, the world was our oyster, basically. I just started getting tons of work, tons of clients, and it was like 11 years later, and I was still there. Wow. Yeah. And uh, now you're in Kelowna. So tell us a little bit about how you came here and what happened to your clients in Manitoba when you came here. Uh, well, I mean, Brandon's lovely, but we were sort of, my husband and I were waiting for an opportunity to come up where we could relocate. It just, there was nothing really that was that enticing. Um, and finally, through his work, um, another company had offered him the opportunity to move and relocate and pay for us to move. So that was like, hello, that was our ticket. (laughs) We we were out of there. We had two weeks to decide where we were going to move across Canada, and then we had two months to move. So, you know, we kind of roll with the punches. I figured, I'm going to figure this out on the fly. We'll make this work. And that's kind of what we've been doing for the last, it's been three and a half years we've been in Kelowna. Um, Yeah, so I have a team of, uh, you know, I've got a team of people that I work with in Brandon, um, I manage it from here. I do go back, you know, for, because we still have projects there, which is pretty awesome because mm-hmm. I haven't been there for a while. Um, yeah, so it's, it's mostly about management and client intake and communication and just me carrying that almost, you know, you do it a little bit over the top just to reassure clients how things are going. And then right. the ladies I have back there are sort of the face of the business and they We'll take meetings with people and go kind of run around and do things, and I just sort of manage that process um, from here. So, so far, it's worked out. Right. That being said, I, uh, last time I was on an airplane, I actually typed a contract. I sent it, and I got it accepted or counter-offered and initials and everything all electronically while I was in the air. So, I mean, we can do so much from remote control, but I find like at least once – um, the client needs to see you face to face just to deepen that relationship mm-hmm. so they know you're a real person. Uh, and then I find people are comfortable with you being out of town for large parts of it, but it is, you know, good to actually see you and you see the project, right? Um, so are you doing a lot of business in Kelowna or is it still mostly in Manitoba? Mm-hmm. Well, I would say we're kind of split right now 50-50, which was a process. It took a while to, you know, get your bearings when you move to a new city. We didn't know anybody. I had no friends or contacts here. We just kind of blindly took a big leap and moved out here. And little me thinking, you know, everything I did back in Manitoba, well, surely it's going to, it's going to work here. 
six right. months, I'll have clients, I'll, I'll meet people. No, not at all. <laughs> it's, um, it was basically like building a baby from scratch again. It's, you know, it doesn't matter. I've been in business. This is our 15th year. Um, it doesn't matter that that history exists in another province. It's completely a different story. I found when you move to a new location, it's starting from scratch. So it's networking, it's creating those relationships and establishing good connections with people. And little by little, you know, projects started coming in. So fortunately for us, we've got, I'd say the mix is 50. We've got, you know, work here, we've got work back in Manitoba and, um, yeah, it's quite, quite interesting and fun. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that concept of doing business in two different cities, personally, and I'm doing it myself right now. So um, I'm a big fan of stories of personal evolution, and uh, you know I've studied Steve Jobs and people that we kind of look at as icons, but we tend to forget that they used to be kids and they used to do foolish things. I mean, Steve Jobs is a famous example. He actually got fired from the company he started and uh, reports say he was a total jerk, you know, when he was younger and very arrogant and uh, he definitely evolved as a person. So I'm really fascinated by stories like that. Do you have anything that you would be comfortable sharing something from your past that if someone just met you today and they heard about this story from your past, they would say, I can't believe that's you. Like that doesn't even, you know, something that shows a dramatic difference in your personality or way of thinking. Yeah, I'm like sweating a little bit actually now. <laughs> you can't see it, but I can feel it. <laughs> I do. Um, yeah, this is, and funny enough, because as soon as you, I thought I had a story prepared for that question. And right. now you're talking to me and I'm like in my mind, I'm like, no, I got to tell this other story. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, yeah, so I finished design school. I moved back to Brandon. I'm about a year and a half into having my own consulting business and doing design work. And, you know, um, being outside of big city centers, you know, sourcing all your furniture and your very cool product and different things is very difficult in a smaller center because your selection is way smaller. So genius me at 24 years old, I'm thinking, you know what, like, why the heck am I going to other businesses and giving them their money, you know, or my clients money or my money for this stuff? Why don't I open my own store? And not only do I do all the design work, but then I supply the furniture, the artwork, the decor, the lighting, everything. So I opened a 2,000 square foot mid to high end furniture and home decor store when I was 24 with, I don't want to go into too many details, but with a, a boyfriend at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and about three months after we opened, I had a flood in my store and yeah, the, this is a crazy story. The landlord, this building that we were going into was a, a century-old building. He was converting the upper stories into high-end condos, and the main floor was all retail. So I had a shop in the front, and my friend had a high-end store in the back. Um, he took all the money that he was given for investment to renovate um, and moved to Dubai. And so he took it bat- well, he took yeah, money yeah, he took all his partners' money, um, the investors, you know, finance. He he took it. I don't know all the details clearly, but he took it, went to Dubai, left the building, abandoned it. There were condos half finished. People were wondering what's going on. So in the meantime, it's all boiler heat, and um, yeah, everything froze over the winter, and then. When spring came and everything thawed, cracked the pipes, we had a huge flood. So we were closed. This was three months after we opened. It was awful. took a couple months to restore everything and get everything back together. And then about six months later, seven months later, I had another flood. But this time, it was sewage running down the back wall. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It was a pretty crappy situation. (laughs) 
pretty much. Literally. Literally. No pun intended, but totally. Um, and that, for me, was my big sign that, you know, this is just, come on. There's risk, and then there's calculated risk, then there's risk. Um, at the time, you know, other commercial spots, there weren't very many that were appropriate for what we wanted to do. If I was to relocate the store, um, I'd be basically, you know, having to triple my investment, triple my inventory, and at 24, 25, I was like, this just isn't, no, 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 this is crazy. And I mean, this is sort of the things that were beyond my control, but the other flip, you know, the coin, um, how do you say it? The other side of the coin, yeah. is that right? Yeah. Um, you know, I'm 24 years old. I don't have any mentors. I have no financial guidance. I'm just sort of trying to wing it. And in, you know, a small community where you, you know, you have this appearance and you have this sort of, you know, expectation from everybody else that you're, you know, successful. And this is, nobody knew what was going on. And I just, you know, as a 24-year-old kid without much business sense, um, I didn't manage my money properly, like, Mm -hmm. totally honest. Um, So after all of this happened, within the, it was under two years, I had to close everything and declare bankruptcy. Oh, wow. At 25 years old. Wow. Yeah. So I, I mean, only a handful. I tell this story now because I'm, I've gotten to this point where, you know, it's fine. I've worked yeah. through it. But for me, being the 25-year-old kid where, like, this was in the news with the landlord and it just wouldn't go away. Yeah. And you know how small towns are people talk about yes. all kinds of things. So I had to, you know, keep face and keep running my consulting business. And nobody could know that that was, you know, part of the real reason why this had failed. So for me, that was my biggest, yeah. most public you know, and especially at 25 years old, like a shameful secret. Yeah. You just couldn't really tell anybody. So, right. yeah, that was, that was like, that was huge. Yeah. Wow. I had a similar situation. So uh, when you interview me, we can talk about that, but that's, um, that's amazing. So if you could go in a time machine mm-hmm. and clone yourself and advise your enthusiastic, okay. uh, super excited self who's about to open the store, besides saying, don't do it. It's a trap. Like, what What would you say? What would you need to think differently? Like, what would you advise yourself if you could go in that time machine? Um, you know, I'm sure most people would be like, well, don't do it. No, I would, I would definitely do it again. I just, um, when you're, you know, 25 and you're careless and carefree and you think you have all the answers and you don't need as much help as you think you do, but you actually do need more, um, it's to surround yourself with mentors and people that know what's going on. You know, they might not own their own furniture store or do design, but they might have the business. So, and the other thing too is don't be afraid to like be vulnerable and actually share what's really going on behind that perfect curtain. Um, Because of course there's, you know, in everybody else's lives too, you might think, oh, I can't talk to anybody because, you know, they're, they've never been through this. Like, trust me, they've been through this. They just haven't told anybody about it, (laughs) you know? So yeah, to go back, it would be, you know, if you're young and ambitious, that's amazing. That's, you know, something that not everyone has, but definitely be smart and mm-hmm. surround yourself with people that can guide you and offer, you know, counsel when it's needed so that you don't feel alone. That's, I think looking back, I was, I felt so alone, um, but I had created this bubble, you know, and that didn't want it to pop. Um, and there's not, there's, it's just, that's sort of just looking at it from the other side. It's okay, you know, to let people know that, you know, you're still human and you're struggling with things and that, you know, you do need help. You need to ask for it. I just, I was too proud to ask for help yeah. or to let anybody know that, you know, I was kind of struggling beneath the surface yeah. um, because it's just, you just so create this image in the community, yeah. right? And then it was like almost, yeah, it was almost too late to go back at that point. So yeah. that's what I would say is, um, 
you know, don't, yeah, there's risk. There's, you, you have to try things because you don't know if they're going to work out or not, but definitely get surrounded by people who can support you when you need it and offer advice and um, guidance. That's key. I know that uh, that can be a traumatic experience uh, for your, you know, psychology and your confidence and everything. How did you get to from there to the super confident person you are today? How, how did you get from here uh, from there to here oh mentally? Um, okay, so like a lot of therapy. <laughs> Let's be real. Right? Lots of therapy. Lots of talk therapy because. Um, I, I'm sure I, you know, I'm very much like a lot of other people where you were, when you're raised in certain, um, you know, time that you don't talk about feelings, at least mm-hmm. in our family, it was always just like rose colored glasses and, you know, look on the bright side. I'm like, yeah, 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 partially. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I, that's common in a lot of people's lives. Right. Um, yeah. So for me, it was like talking about it because I kept everything in and just, you know, kind of ignored it and kept going. That's just in our nature as a family as well. But I had to, you know, that you can only do that for so long before it starts to surface and you have to deal with it. So um, talking it over, um, you know, a lot of work on, um, like, self-awareness and just really, I think for me, the blessing in moving to Kelowna and honestly not having clients for about a year here gave me the time to really focus on myself mm-hmm. and work on the things that I thought, oh, you know, I'm doing pretty good. It's not so bad. I'm like, no, you really have to face yourself sometimes. Um, and it's, it's scary. But once you work through that, I think you come out a much better person um, with more empathy and more self-awareness. Mm-hmm. So that, you know, looking back, that experience, it took probably, I don't know, it took 10 years to get to this point. It's not easy. Right. Um, and just talking about it and kind of acknowledging and owning that I did that. This also happened, which was out of my control, but I was a part of the whole, you know, the whole story and that that's my story. And it's okay that it didn't work out perfectly because it taught me so much more and it's given me tools to kind of build my business stronger and realize, you know, the things that I, the tools I didn't have then work harder to have now. Right. Yeah. Um, maybe you could tell us about a couple of those tools. Like I, I think life is kind of like mountain climbing in the sense that overall, if you look back, you should see progress. Like you're way further ahead today than you were 10 years ago, but it wasn't, I'm sure it wasn't totally smooth sailing or like going up in a straight line. You have setbacks along the way. Um, so maybe tell us about a couple of those setbacks that you had and how you get past those. Cause what I want to try to do for people is help them save time. Right. And it's like sometimes we don't know the way out. Like when you're at a bottom, it's like, where do I go from here? Uh, You found your way, but it took a decade. Uh, Tell us about some of the setbacks and like some of the things um, that could help someone to speed up that process. Wow. That's that's a tricky one. Um, I'd say, I mean, it's different for everybody. In my experience, for me, it was completely all about mindset. And the belief systems and the things that, you know, you're, you develop habits from a young age and the things you self-talk, the things you tell yourself, mm. things that you're raised, you know, with, and you kind of adapt and, and take on some of those things. So for me, it was sort of the event of this store closing and the bankruptcy and the flood and this public kind of, in my mind, public failure, humiliation, um, really set me on a course of... Up until that point, you know, it was sort of fearless and everything I ever wanted or, you know, auditioned for or worked hard for, I just got. That -hmm. was my biggest failure. Um, So after that, I I found myself, I know, and as you grow older, your little layers of fears sort of build up as you get older and wiser, you know. 
um, trying to break down and break through that because that sets you back and holds you back. So for me, it's mindset and working really with intent. And I mean, it's still a practice and things, you know, you think it's like a lifelong practice is, you know, certain things pop up into your mind or you're about to take on a big contract or a project or a certain scenario happens and you find yourself sort of defaulting to your old thought processes. Self-doubt. Yes, which honestly can tack on months you know, to the year of staying stuck and on a plateau because you're not taking action or you're not doing something about it. So for me, it's sort of a mindset where things will always happen. There will always be clients or projects or people, you know, it's a moving puzzle that will trigger or, you know, create an issue or a problem. And it's what are you telling yourself about that and how you associate meaning to that. Right. That truly has been for me, the biggest catalyst to work through, you're right, because it is kind of, unless you've been through it, I mean, it's traumatic to try and go through something like that, and at that young age, because you're still figuring, I'm still figuring life out, but especially back then, you're still trying to figure it all out, Um, but yeah, the biggest change for me was working on empathy, Mm -hmm. not only for other people, but for myself, because I think, you know, when you're in business, you're an entrepreneur, um, a lot of us are very, we're perfectionists and we're, we're driven and we want great results and we, we're very hard on ourselves if we don't achieve just that, you know? Right. So that conversation with yourself and mindset, um, at least in my experience, has been the biggest catalyst to work through and get towards the other side and keep going. Right. Yeah. Very cool. So um, let's talk a little bit about today, your career as a designer. Uh, what makes it fun for you? What do you love about it the most? What makes it challenging or sometimes frustrating? Tell us about uh, your job today. Wow. Um, design is, I think, why it works for me so well is, like, I think I would, I, just my personality type, I would die if I was stuck behind a desk. And I'm not, you know, kudos to people that have long-term careers and have created, you know, a niche for themselves in what they do. It's not that, you know... Uh, What I love the most about my career and the design world is that it's ever-changing. You know, every day is a little bit different. Every client is different. The needs are different. The locations, the homes, it's just always different. And for me, I need constant change. I I get very stuck and kind of bored if I'm doing the same thing over and over. And then I usually just quit or don't do it anymore. (laughs) So so that's why yoga hasn't worked out or working out long-term has not worked out so far. (laughs) But, um, yeah, for design, it's just the... um, the variety and the people, um, and then obviously in Kelowna, like the location, right. coming here, just it just blows my mind, the creative um, process and the homes that are being built and the, like, just the, like, it's all encompassing and kind of amazing, so, yeah, yeah I really enjoy that there's just so much diversity in the area, the landscape, and the people. Um, what I find challenging is the people, (laughs) (laughs) the clients. Yeah. Clients are, I mean, everyone's just, everyone is so different and uh, personalities and expectations. So, um, yeah, sometimes that no, you know, no, this is true. It's like, that can be very challenging, very difficult to try and navigate someone's personality or expectation. Um, while there's a lot of money at stake and a lot of um, investment happening and people just want to be sure that they've got, you know, that they're investing wisely in their choices and decisions. So, right. yeah, that can be um, that can be a bit challenging <laughs> sometimes. Well, so you mean like getting on the same mental wavelength as a client? Yeah. They tend to think different than, than you do sometimes. 
Yeah. No, I get it. <laughs> um, so tell us a little bit about your perfect client and what makes you different. So who, who do you relate to the best? What type of personality or, you know, business person that you just love working with? You get a client and you're like, this is going to be awesome. It's going to be so much fun. Yeah, tell us about that. I can tell you exactly who they are. Their names are Ed and Marion. <laughs> <laughs> Truly, they are. Um, they're, these are clients that we had, um, I'd say, about six years ago. And to date, I mean, we have wonderful clients. It's not like they're, you know, the end-all, be-all. But they're just they're, um, in terms of their style and their personalities, they're you know, easygoing. They know what they want. They just have a really hard time trying to put it all together. They don't want to make any bad decisions. They want to create a home and an environment where, you know, at the end of the day, they come home and they just feel relaxed and inspired and they want help doing all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I never say I want a client that gives me carte blanche because that's so terrifying because right. it's not, I'm not living in the home when I'm done, you know? Um, I love clients that are a part of the process. So my ideal client, Ed and Miriam, you know, very involved. However, they, they know that they can only take it so far, and right. then they respect and really value your expertise as a professional to guide them. So it was a collaborative process, um, and just, you know, clients that are, they travel, they've seen a bit of the world, they want to do something different, they're open to suggestions, um, and they just, we all have the same common goal at the end. Those are, those are my ideal clients. I love working with people that are, they're involved, but not too involved, and um, just trust the process. Awesome. Yeah. I totally agree. That's my perfect client, too. Um, so if I were to summarize the advice that you would give your younger self or a young designer starting out in the business, it would be um, surround yourself with good mentors, right? Don't be afraid to be vulnerable and take advice. Uh, to not bite off more than you can chew. So you want to be in the design business, maybe not a retail furniture outlet is the best thing. And uh, read your lease and read your insurance policy. That'd be pretty accurate. Yeah, especially those last points. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Get some advice or just have someone look that over, send it to your lawyer. Yeah, do your due diligence. Absolutely. Um, I think the other thing, too, to touch on, uh, you know, if you're giving advice to your younger self is, especially in the design profession, if you're going to be in business for yourself, you need to know the business side of things. And when you ask the question, like, what sets us apart or makes us unique, um, you know, there's a dime a dozen uh, wonderful designers in Kelowna and super talented uh, individuals. And I think, you know, ultimately, we basically offer very similar services. So what sets us apart, in my mind, is the back end, the business side of things that people don't necessarily see, um, but will absolutely affect the flow and the outcome um, budgets, all the things that people do right. see and do spend money on. Um, so if you're, yeah, if you're pursuing a design career or you want to get into the design field as an entrepreneur, you have to know the business side of it yeah. and get those ducks lined up in a row. Um, because not only will your projects be more successful, your relationships with your builders, with your contractors and all your sub trades will be way more successful and flow much more smoothly because you understand what's going on and you know what they need to deliver as well. Um, I think that's definitely where, you know, we come in as a firm, we're tight in our business end and, um, yeah, it makes a big difference. Awesome. Yeah. I'd say it's kind of like a left brain, right brain thing. Uh, not too many accountants that I know are good designers or very creative and there's a lot of very creative people, but they just don't 
grasp the business side of it, and you've got both, so that's great. That's, um, it doesn't come naturally. Like we're creative people. So yeah. when someone says you need to have processes and systems, I'm like, Oh my God, <laughs> no. Um, but I, I've come to love them and rely and trust on them heavily because it does completely change the game. And then your, your credibility and your, um, you know, what you present out into the public and how you work with your trades and your networks is completely different too, because they see you more as a business person that does design versus a designer that has no business sense. And right. yeah, you know, you can, you can only go so far. Um, but that's definitely my recommendation is to, you know, I'm constantly reading and learning. I want to better myself and take our company to the next level. So it's working on the business, the back end that, you know, people don't see, but they will appreciate, you know, when you invest the time and invest the money into that because your projects are just that much more successful. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I would say, too, it helps you to be uh, free to be creative when that stuff is taken care of, that you're not stressed out about that end of it. So I'm going to put you on the spot now. I'd like you to name someone in Kelowna who you think is a fascinating person and you would like to see come on this show in the future. Who do you think? Oh, there's so many. This, like, this city is just full of crazy, amazing people. Um, I am going to throw Tina Walchak. I'm going to throw her to the wolves. Okay. Just kidding. Not the wolves here. Uh, Tina is a partner in Highlight Creative Group. They're a um, marketing and branding agency here in Kelowna. She owns it with her husband, Will. They just had a brand new baby. Um, and she's back in the office doing business and creating beautiful things. Um, and she's just a fascinating, lovely person. So... I would love for you to talk to Tina next. Awesome. Thank you very much. Okay, Crispin, um, if someone is interested in talking about your services or finding out more about what you do, what is the easiest way for them to get in touch with you? Is it a website, a phone number? Do you like text? What's the best way for someone to get in touch with you? of all of those things. We have a website. It's um, urbantheoryinteriordesign.com. I didn't think that through when I was creating my domain name. It's very long. But anyhow, our website, that's our website. Um, we have a Facebook page. We have Instagram. I, I tend to post a lot of the behind the scenes and the candid day-to-day runnings of a design office on Instagram. So you can get a sense of what we're sort of more about. You see our personality through there. Um, and it's just, I mean, it's Instagram. It's fun. Um, and then, uh, yeah, we have a toll-free number. It's 888-848-8055. You can give us a shout, and we can talk to you a little bit more about what your project would be or what questions you might have. Mm-hmm. Okay, so it's ur- Urban Theory Interior Design, and I will put links in the show notes as well, so easy to find you. That's great. Uh, thank you very much, Crispin. I feel like I've learned something today, and we got to know you a little better on a personal level. So I wish you all the best, and I hope to see you again real soon. Ah, oh, thanks, Lou. This was really fun, and um, I'm really, I'm so glad you're doing stuff like this. This is wonderful. Thank you. Have a great day.